to God's goodness. She also made a, uh, an illusion that not everybody was as blessed or as safe as, as they were. Um, but the thing is, with disaster, when disaster strikes, um, there's an opportunity for the goodness of humanity to come out. And we've seen that across Ohio, um, Dayton area, Salina, um, just the goodness of humanity. There's an opportunity to pour out. See, in Genesis, when God made man, mankind, it was the pinnacle of creation. And he declared, it is very good. And uh, we can often shake our head at disaster. But rather than shake our head, we can allow that goodness to come out of us. And we have seen that. We have seen that over and over and over. Um, there's more good stories. There's more victories. There's more positives out of what happened last money, Monday than there are tragedies. If you really begin to think about it, there are more victory stories. There are more stories about good humanity that have come out of that. So we need to reflect on that as well. And thank you, Geneva, for bringing that because God is good regardless of the circumstance. The circumstance does not change who God is at all. And that is why he's the rock. That is why he's the fortress. That is why we can run to him and we are safe. And so this morning, um, uh, I, we're about to embark on a, on a new series this month. It's just the month of June um, that we'll, we'll be jumping into this series. And so I'd ask that you open up to John chapter 19. Um, John chapter 19. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the right hand of your Bible. Uh, it's in the New Testament. John is an apostle, a disciple of Jesus who hung out with Jesus for about three years and um, lived with him, ate with him, watched him, learned from him, um, even saw uh, many things that Jesus had done. Did I write that down right? I wrote that down incorrectly. It's John chapter 20. My fault. Like I said, Wapak Naz is a place where not-so-perfect people can come, and there you go. <laughs> John chapter 20, forgive me. John chapter 20, and uh, we're going to start at verse 19. Um, but I, I would like to pray before we go right into the Scripture, if you don't mind. Jesus, uh, this is your word. Um, this is a moment that, that you, uh, you stepped into. Uh, you stepped into a moment of fear. You stepped into a moment of, of chaos and confusion. Um, you stepped into a moment where people couldn't wrap their heads around it. They were an emotional wreck. And you stepped in. So this morning, <laughs> I ask that, that in our emotional wrecks, in our life, in our chaos, in our confusion, Lord, we, uh, we allow you to step in. We invite you in and we ask that your word your words speak, um, and that at the end of all of this morning, that the, the glory of Jesus Christ is declared, and that we run with that herald. We declare that as well. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. John chapter 20, not 19, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, 
they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The previous three days were a whirlwind for the disciples. For Jesus' inner circle. Matthew, Mar- uh, Matthew, John, Simon, Judas, Iscariot. Yes, it was a whirlwind for him as well. It was a whirlwind for the women that have supported Jesus, that fed the disciples, that actually went out and did work to provide for the work of the Lord. This was a whirlwind three days. In fact, in that whirlwind, Jesus had been sitting with his, his twelve and washed their feet. Judas got up and skirted out. And just hours later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Not only did Judas betray Jesus with a kiss, but he betrayed the other 11 disciples. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But he also betrayed those men that he was with for three years. He betrayed the whole movement. And after that, with Jesus' arrest, Judas, full of guilt and shame, went and hung himself. Jesus was led out to the cross in early morning, and by 9 a.m., Jesus was hanging on the cross. John, the only man from the inner circle to witness his crucifixion, to watch him suffer and die on the cross. Not Peter, not Simon the Zealot, none of the other men. None of the people that Jesus poured into were there, except John. And so, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus pull Jesus' lifeless body off the cross, put it in the new tomb, and it's Friday evening. It's Sabbath. A not-so-restful Sabbath. Have you ever had one of those? Where you're supposed to relax? This is a relaxing day. This is supposed to be a day where nothing happens, and then boom. Boom. It becomes not so relaxing. It becomes an emotional roller coaster. You have 11 men that Jesus poured into. Bless you. One more time. Bless you. Amen. Amen. You have 11 men that Jesus poured into that had scattered. No name Saturday, which the church doesn't really talk about. Jesus is still in the ground. It was a whirlwind three days. And then an empty tomb on Sunday morning. No one expected nobody. Mary Magdalene was called nuts. You're out of your mind. Peter and John go to the tomb. They can't figure it out. Mary Magdalene's the first one to to see Jesus resurrected and clung to him. This is that evening of that day of the whirlwind weekend. When there was chaos and confusion. You ever had those moments where you just can't wrap your head around it? You just don't understand it? Even when it's good? I mean, Jesus Christ is resurrected. They still don't get it. They don't figure it out. Wait, He was dead. We know that Joseph and Nicodemus pulled His body off the cross. It was lifeless. Just kind of like the movement. The movement that Jesus had spent three years building into. The people that Jesus spent three years building into. You ever pour yourself into someone? So much so? And then they up and leave? They're gone? You just give everything of yourself. And they're gone. Maybe I'm the only one that's experienced that, 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 that kind of moment. They were gone. And now, on that evening, when there's this rumor that Jesus is resurrected, we know it's not a rumor, it's truth. Mary Magdalene herself clung to Him. Jesus Himself walked on the road to Emmaus with two of His own as they were heading back home. And their eyes were opened at the table. He's alive. Even the angels declared it. He's alive. But it's still confusing. It still doesn't make sense. Fear is still with them. 
And the disciples gather in this, this house. We're not sure whose house it is. Ten disciples. Thomas, nowhere to be found. You ever get stressed out in your life? No, not at all. Life isn't stressful. <laughs> right. We all have these coping skills, right? When life gets just stressed, some of us like go mega Nazarene and we eat and eat and eat, right? I mean, if you're Nazarene, man, you just love to eat and you just go epic on that. You go way out. Some of us, rather than eating themselves to death and having uh, ice cream day in and day out, some of us don't eat. Some of us will sleep like there is no tomorrow. And some of us just can't get a wink otherwise. We have the kick the dog syndrome. We project our hurt, our feelings, our stress on someone else. Some of us just bottle it up. Thomas's coping skill? He's gone. Even John doesn't seem to have a clue where Thomas is. They don't know where he is. He's not there. He's been with these guys for three years, and he's just up and gone. Coping skill. Make yourself absent. No one can get to me. I'm just going to ignore the situation. Maybe he's taking Jesus' death a little bit harder. I don't know. We all have coping skills. Folks, this is a stressful, emotional, confusing chaotic moment. And then Jesus appears. I don't know if it's like that beam me up Scotty type of thing where he just materializes. I don't know if he like walked through walls or just poof right there. But he enters a room that has been locked. He enters a home that is locked. He enters a room that is just completely filled with fear because men and women that knew what happened to Jesus are thinking that it's me that's next. I'm going to be just like Jesus and gone. Because there are people out there that still want to squash, squelch, and stop the movement. And Jesus enters in. And do you notice the words that he says first? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Makes sense, doesn't it? That's why he would say that. But how do you get peace in a situation that is unrestful? That is listless. Folks, one thing about God that we need to understand as we move into the series and as we move into our relationship with God is that God doesn't have things that He wants to give you necessarily. God wants to give you Him. Him. God is peace. God is love. John himself, who wrote this, declares that in a letter. God is holy. God wants to give, him, give us Him. When you get in relationship with Him, and you maintain and grow in that, you receive Him. You receive the peace that He is. He doesn't just give you peace. You receive Him. You receive that which He is. Peace. And so, He says, peace be with you. And then He shows them. This is like show and tell. Really cool. Right? You know show and tell when you were in kindergarten. Maybe they do that in senior high. I don't know. Um, do they? Okay, no. What did you do for summer this year? Uh, I don't know. But, 
Jesus has a show-and-tell moment. Shows him the scars. Shows him the holes, I should say, not scars. Shows him the holes in his hands and in his... doesn't say he showed him in his feet, but I would think, yes, hey, check out my feet. Shows him the, the side where the spear had been pushed in. They needed to understand that what was dead is now alive. That it's true. And then he, I don't know about you, I find this a little weird. Jesus breathes on him. Now he was dead for like three days. I know when I wake up on a morning, just after eight hours of sleep, my breath smells really bad. Jesus has been dead for three days. And he... It's pretty rank, Jesus. No. What happens? He breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. This is a moment that goes all the way back to creation. goes all the way back to Ezekiel 37 with dry bones. Breathes life. Breathes Holy Spirit into them. And then, of all the things that Jesus could say, I mean, if I were Him, if I were Him, I'm like, I told you so. I mean, you ever done that? No, none of you have ever. I told you so. I told you it would happen. He doesn't say, hey, where's Thomas? That pessimist. Where's he at? He doesn't say, why are you cowering on the inside here? Why are your doors locked? I mean, it's first century A.D. Don't you know in the 20th century, they leave their doors open, unlocked in the 1950s, like everybody can come and go. Come on! Are you feeling guilty today? You should, because none of you were there. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say a word of that. He doesn't step in like I think what we would do. No. He goes straight for it. Check it out. He says this, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you of all the things for Jesus to say in this moment. Why in the world is He saying, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you? Why would He say this? Why, of all the things that He could say, hey, I was dead for three days, I want to tell you what happens when you're dead for three days. I would be really curious. How was it, Jesus? No, he says, we've got some business to take care of. Regardless of your fear, regardless of your confusion, regardless of your doubts, regardless of your emotional roller coaster right now, we've got business to tend to. The mission's been on pause for three days. That's long enough. He said, I, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And if you look at the book of John, I think it's like 42 times, Jesus of himself references the fact that he has been sent by God. That he came from heaven and he was on a mission. That God sent him here. We, we, we celebrate Christmas. And as Matthew Kirkpatrick says, it's Christmas every day. But we celebrate Christmas because God is with us. God came. Jesus came in flesh. And his whole life, particularly those three years, his whole life has been sent for mission. He was ready for something and he was intentional with it. He was sent. And all of us, I don't know about you, but we sing a lot of songs about being like Jesus. 
I want to be like Jesus. God, make me like you. I want to be like Jesus. And he says, hey, you want to be like me? It's time for you to go. I was sent and so are you. It's time to do the business. It's time to get to the heart of the matter. It's because people's hearts matter. He said, this is the most important thing I could say to you in this moment. Peace be with you. You can't do anything without me. You can't have peace without me. And then go on mission. It's time for you to be sent. It is you that will perpetuate the mission. Did you realize that you are sitting here today or sleeping here today Because these people that Jesus had this moment with did what Jesus said. They were sent. Because if they didn't go, you're not here. If they didn't go, you aren't saved. Because no one would know. This church would not exist. Harvest Baptist wouldn't exist. Worship community wouldn't be existing. St. Joe's wouldn't exist. None of them would exist. But the truth is, the fact is, they went. Because they were sent. And so are you. If they could do it, so can we. So can we. So the most important thing that Jesus said on the first night of his resurrection, he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And if, if you didn't catch it, the last thing that he said before he was astronaut Jesus and went up to the right hand of the Father was, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And to those same very disciples, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, in your hometown, in the region, in the places that people don't go, all the way to the four corners, you will be my witnesses. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered in your sending. So, folks, the question is no longer if we are sent. The question is no longer if we are called to leverage our lives for Jesus Christ. It's no longer. It's a matter of where and how. And today, I want to answer the where. This month, we'll do our best to answer how. But today, it's where. It's very simple. Our where is here. Here. In 1926, people prayed and prayed and prayed and charted a church right here. Right on this corner. In Wapakoneta. They didn't, they didn't charter it in Crytersville. They didn't charter it in Lima. They charted it right here on the corner of Court and Benton. And that is why you are here. That is why we have orange pews that you sit in. It's why we have this building. It's why there's kids upstairs worshiping the Lord or maybe downstairs having a really cool, fun time learning about the Lord. Here. Wapakoneta. But I know there are many of you that aren't living in Wapak. Do you know wherever you go is here? Wait, wait, wait. Whew. Do you know wherever you go is here? 
where you are is here. Oh, now you're getting it. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you where? Here? Where's that? Where you are. Correct. Where you are. Now, he doesn't mean like right here as you're watching TV in your own home. You got to go somewhere. Ah, come on. No, not really. No, here. So, I want to talk to you about here. If it's no longer a question of where, I want to talk to you about here. And I really struggled with this sermon, and I felt like it came together this morning. Here. 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 Wapakoneta is 9,816 people, according to the 2016 census. According to that same census for Auglaise County, 41%, 41%, 41% of Auglaise County is unchurched, not connected to a faith community of any sort, not just Christian, but of any sort. 41%. You do the math, you do some rough math, it's 4,025 people. 4,025 people. 41%, 4,025 people, give or take, that are not connected to a church, faith community, whatsoever, meaning possibly not connected to God in any way, shape, or form. Mission field, here. Wapakoneta. Are they being reached? Is it a harvest field? Absolutely. Let's talk about here. For many of you, this might be your first time here at Wapaknas. And if it is, we are glad to meet you. You are important to us, and we've been praying for you. In the last five and a half years, many of you are new to Wapaknas. You may not even know the journey that Wapaknas has been on. So let's, let's go there. From May to September of 2013, before I arrived, before my wife and I arrived, the average attendance on a Sunday morning was 70 people. By the end of the year, it was 82 people. We arrived October 20th, 2013. On the day, or the Sunday before our arrival, it was 61 people total. That's upstairs and downstairs. That's men, women, and children, teenagers, 61. Our first Sunday was 81 people. October 20th, 2013. From May to April of 2014, we grew to 91 people. From May to April of 2015, we grew to 95 people. Remember, people count. We count people because people count. May to April of 2016, 105 people. Took a dip from May to April of 2017, 99 people. Last year was our highest year so far. From May to April of 2018, 107 people. But see, that's just scratching the surface. What's really important is what's happening in the people. Not only on Sunday, because knowing God is more than Sunday morning. Knowing God is more than having your butt in the seat. Knowing God is more than putting coins in the coffer. Since we arrived, 29 people have received Jesus Christ, have given their life to Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is something we celebrate. 29 baptisms. And last year, last year alone, there were 12 people that we celebrated their baptism. That they have publicly proclaimed identification with Jesus Christ. And this summer, five more, well at least, at least five, we will celebrate their baptism in Jesus Christ. In the last two years, we've completed 13 eight-week Bible studies. That's individual Bible studies. Eight weeks is a long time. Eight of them. Currently, seven of them are in progress. One of which is being done not by a pastor. 
Not by a pastor. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? Life groups started in 2015. They're running at least a quarter, a quarter of this church is in life group. Having personal interaction with God, Jesus Christ, with the community of God, in the Word of God. That's not counting Sunday school. That's not counting Wednesday night. Because if we bump that number for Sunday morning and Wednesday night and life groups, that's well over half this community of, of Jesus Christ, this community of Wapak Naz. I praise the Lord for that. Because spiritual growth is happening in that. Speaking of, of an eight-week Bible study not being led by a pastor, in 2017, you chose to hire Matthew Kirkpatrick as a youth pastor. And let me just tell you, Matthew and Chris, Dean and Oliver, they have been awesome. I can't thank God enough for them. This summer, there are nine teenagers, nine, nine, going to camp. Last year, three. The year before that, zero. Praise the Lord. And some of them going to camp are atheists. Praise Jesus. They're hearing the gospel. They're connecting with the community of Christ. Chris and Laura, Chris Kirkpatrick and Laura McRae, just last year initiated a ministry and a mission called Tapestry. Trying to get it off the ground, but the fact is they have been on mission together with women of all ages. Teenagers, kids, and senior adults, women of all ages connecting, fellowshipping with one another. Uh, since we started, six people have been sent on international missions. Six of them went to Honduras. Outside of that, one went to Germany, two went to South Africa. Speaking of which, Honduras, 20, 2019, we are partnering again with the Valley, who's doing the trip, and we are in need in gent gently used suitcases that you will never, ever see again. Because what's going to happen with these? They're going to carry the gospel, literally, Bibles within them, going to Honduras, to northern Honduras, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our schools, the relationship with our schools, our relationship with the schools, yearly, we provide supplies to the elementary school. Gloves and hats to our elementary. Much needed supplies were divided out by the school nurse at the middle school and the elementary for those needed supplies of kids that come to school not well clothed. Three years, three years running, we have provided a lunch for our Wapakoneta High School teachers. We've provided them a lunch and a much-needed time together with one another. Coffee and tea for the middle school teachers. We wanted to bless them. Even the guidance counselor from the middle school has connected us and asked us, you and I, to provide food and gifts for families. And they were practical gifts, gifts that they needed, clothes, shoes, you name it. You want to talk about here? Our where is here. We have initiated and developed relationships with the United Way, our Chamber of Commerce, the YMCA, and Mercy Unlimited, and our awesome police department. I've had the privilege to step in and become a part of our Wapakoneta Police Department as their chaplain. That relationship has been fostered over the last two and a half years. Folks, our where is here, right in Wapakoneta, right where you are. Connections with our local churches have grown stronger and stronger. I meet with a local pastor once a month, as well as the CEO from the YMCA, as well as our CEO and founder of Mercy Unlimited, and we get together and we pray. We pray for our community, and we talk about leadership. We talk about how our organizations are moving and shaking and shaking our community. Folks, from passing of cookies to our neighbors, to knocking on doors, handing out hundreds of bottles of water during Summer Moon Fest, hundred, hundreds of warm cups of hot chocolate during Wapakoneta, the Wapak Parade, Backyard Nation, which is going to be in full launch this season. We are resourcing you, and you'll hear about this next week, we're resourcing you to be the ministers in our community. 
by throwing parties in your own neighborhood. In Valley View apartments alone, Cassie and Jessica and Shauna and Tammy, Eugene and Faye, well over 50 people came together, fellowshiped, had food, and had spiritual conversations and prayer. Going where no one else will go. You got to do things that no one else will do. And that's what we're doing. This is just the tip of the iceberg of what Wapak Naz is about because we're about loving people to Jesus Christ because our where is here. So you can hear me list all this stuff, but there's someone that I want to invite up who has taken this idea. The fact is that when the church begins to operate with the assumption that everyone is called, everyone is sent, not just the pastor, everyone is called, our approach to mobilization will shift dramatically. We will see every person, every person as a potential missionary to be equipped and mobilized. Our goal, our goal is to not send some or even our best, but to send all, every one of you, into mission to our city, across the country, and to the other side of the world. And Katie, if you wouldn't mind, come on up. Katie has um, been coming to Wapak Naz while she grew up here uh, for a period of time. Um, But she shared something several months ago, a couple months ago, actually, um, that I thought, Katie, this needs to be shared among our people. And uh, so, um, Katie, can you kind of shed a little light to um, your story here? Um, Yeah, so, like a year ago, during one of the um, Digging Deeper classes, we, uh, we were talking about the Book of Ruth. And uh, during that, that study, there, um, there was some passages in there where she had one that she wanted to find favoritism in Boaz. And uh, just reading through some of that, those passages um, made me want to um, start praying about some things in my own life. Um, in Ruth chapter 2, Verse 10, it says, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And in my Bible I have footnotes where I can like go into it more or whatever. And um, I had circled um, for, the, for verse 10 through 12. It said, Ruth's, life's, Ruth's life exhibited admirable qualities. She was hardworking, loving, kind, faithful, and brave. These qualities gained for her a good reputation, but only because she displayed them consistently in all areas of her life. Wherever Ruth went, or whatever she did, her character remained the same. Your reputation is formed by the people who watch you at at work, in town, at home, in church. A good reputation comes by consistently living out the qualities you believe in, no matter what group of people or surroundings you're in. So, when we were going through that um, study, I had prayed that I would find favoritism with my my main supervisor. Um, and by I, the way, where do you work? I work at American Trim here in here in Wapak. And what do you do there? I'm a die setter. Okay. And so you back when I think this was September when we were going through this during our digging deeper, that you were you were at, began to ask the Lord for favor, and uh, around that time, didn't you? Weren't you looking to have uh, apply to another position? I was. Um, it was at um, a different plant in Sydney. Same with, still with American Trim, but in Sydney. Um, it was for a, um, a safety coordinator. And it's funny because at the same time that I was applying for my job, my husband Steve was applying for the same kind of job at Airstream. So we were going through this together, kind of like, he definitely had a lot more background in safety than I did, but I just felt called to do this job. I just felt like, I don't know, like I just, I was meant to go for it. So I applied for it, and I mean, I went through, you know, I, I, I take notes during sermons and stuff, so um, one thing that we had talked about back in August, um, he had quoted, <laughs> I 
Um, it's, he said, uh, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So when I was going through this interview process, like that, that just kept playing in my mind, like, you know, even though you're not qualified, you know, God's calling you to do this, so you should, you should go for it or whatever. So, and um, I, I, when he asked me to go, you know, to do this, I like, I started reading back through all my notes or whatever. And like, I had even like wrote like my, when my second interview was going to be, I mean, I made it pretty far. I didn't get the job, but I made it pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> so um, through, through all the interviews and everything, like there was just more that just kept sticking out to me. Like we, in January of this year, well, this was after, but um, I still continue to pray that prayer that God would use me and and I would find favoritism in the workplace that I work and just use me to touch people's lives. <laughs> and uh, in January of this year, we uh, we studied Nehemiah. And uh, yeah. in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, he said, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of, of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And my footnote says, Nehemiah prayed for success in this venture, not for the strength to cope with his problems, yet the success, the, uh, the success he prayed for was not for personal advantage, position, or acclaim. He requested success for God's work. When hmm. God's purposes are at work, don't hesitate to ask for success. So... Did you ever, when, when you went in for that interview and you didn't get the job, did you ever have this sense of, why me? Mm -hmm, absolutely. But there seemed to be a change in, in January sometime from why me to God use me. Right. Um, and so I know you've mentioned that you've had a, you, you, you have a difficult boss and you've been praying and asking God to give you favor in order that he might use you in that in, in your job, in your vocation. So how has that prayer, how has God moved as a result of you praying and listening to his word? And by the way, she is writing this stuff down. She's tracking the voice of God. So how have you seen God open that up for you? And how have you seen opportunities for him to use you? Um, well, it's definitely opened up a lot of conversations at work that I've, I've became not as uh, scared to talk to people about the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, it's opened a lot of conversations with my coworkers and my boss and like top management and my job. Um, just a lot of different conversations that have happened already that, you know, wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have tried to seek out what God was calling me to do. And something interesting that you mentioned, you're a die setter. You made that very clear when we talked. I'm a die setter. Um, and you didn't get the job for safety coordinator. However, um, can you share with us a little bit um, about, though you're not a safety coordinator, it's almost as if you're a safety coordinator. So can you kind of enlighten us a little bit on that? Yeah, so after um, I didn't get the job, they still are using me to do some of the jobs. Like, you know, they, they, I'm not the safety coordinator at all, but they're giving me responsibilities of part of the safety coordinator. Like I lead in some of the um, trainings and um, they, they had me go to a safety convention that I accepted one of the awards for American Trim PC3 for. And so how long have you been praying this prayer? For about a year now. And God is showing himself, revealing himself and providing you favor with, with not only your boss who's as you quote unquote said, tough cookie, um, but you've been able to have conversations, spiritual conversations with your boss about uh, Jesus Christ that were initiated not by you and some by you, right? Yeah. Um, folks, this is, this is that quote. Let me go back here. Our goal, well, when the church begins to operate with the assumption that everyone is called, how many of you sitting here currently are in a vocation of some sort? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. How many of you are in school? Keep your hands up. Everybody, vocation in school. Oh, 
Wow. You are on the job somewhere. You're a missionary where you are. Everyone is called. Our approach to mobilization is, will shift dramatically. We will see every person, Katie and you, as a potential missionary equipped to mob- and mobilized. Our goal is to send all. And what you have heard this morning is an example of what we have used as a plumb line. Being salt, light, and yeast in our community. Can we uh, give thanks to Katie? And Thank you, Katie, very, very much. That's all right. You don't, it's all good. Folks, there's more to go, but I'm going to wrap it up. If you've wondered, if you ask the question, God, what are you calling me to? What is it that you want me to do? You need to understand that you were sent. You are a carrier of the gospel. You are a carrier of the gospel. You are his salt and yeast. And the light of the world within you is to shine out of you where you are. It's not a matter of whether or not you're called to be sent. It's not a matter whether you're called and it's not a matter of where anymore. We no longer have an excuse of where. You no longer have an excuse of where. Your where is here and always will be here. So, as Katie has very graciously shared her story, we ask the Lord, not why me, but use me where I am. And so this morning, I'm asking that we take the risk, that you take the risk. The things that you will regret at the end of your life are the risks that you failed to take today that will make the world a better place and carry the gospel to that place. Those will be the regrets that you will have. But it's time that we step out of fear and step into the risk and believe that it's not just the pastor. It's not just staff. It's not just the leadership board. It's all of us where we are. What if? I don't like to play the what if game a whole lot. And I heard the what if game a lot sitting in the pews. What if the 107 people from May to April, that would include you. If 107 people said, you know what? I am called, I am sent, and my where is here, and I am to be salt, light, and yeast right here to impact the people within my circle of influence. If we actually took that charge to heart, how many more of that 4,025 people, that 41% that are not connected by any way, shape, or form to a faith community, they begin to get connected to a group of people like you, who love like you, who care like you, who forgive like you, who grace like you, and who truly are on fire like you for Jesus Christ. What if? I think that if you become unleashed and you start to be creative in your own way and see your world as the mission field and that you were intentional, 
lives will rapidly change and people will come to Jesus Christ. That number of 29 salvations will dramatically grow because of you and someone else's life. That number of 29 baptisms will absolutely grow because of you active in somebody else's life. You come to church for an hour and a half on a Sunday, but you work 40 hours plus through your week. You have more contact and more impact than I can have on a Sunday morning. Your life lived out for Jesus Christ is much better than a sermon that I can give. Much more impactful. What if? Unleash it. Let the Holy Spirit use you. And watch what happens. And if you're like Katie, track it. You will see it. And you'll go back to it. What if we're called to be sent? We're not called to live safe lives, but sent lives. Will you please stand? Heavenly Father, We boldly approach your throne with humility. And I firmly believe the impact of the people of Wapak Naz can be great in the community that they reside in. Whether it's Piqua, Bodkins, Wapak, Shawnee, Lima, Salina, wherever. But the impact, the ripple effect throughout eternity could be exponential in lives and hearts and households, Lord. We'll be devoted to you and redeemed. God, help us be about changing someone's forever. And Lord, I, I just want to commission this group of people. Commission them as missionaries. May they be sent ones to where they live. God, provide them your favor with their bosses, with their colleagues, with their fellow students, with their neighbors. Provide them favor, oh God. Your favor and the favor of people. In order that, we may have spiritual conversations. In order that, we may share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order that, we may extend people that offer to give their life to Christ. In order that, households and hearts can be changed. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. We'll see you next time.